Well, so that is that. So begins the first line of the ending section of W.H. Auden's long poem, For the Time Being, the Christmas Oratorio. Through the section, he follows with the dismantling of the Christmas tree, the leftovers in the refrigerator, and going back to school and work, where we discover that the office seems a little more dull than we remember it. He remembers back to Christmas and the time that he tried to love all of his relatives, but failed having grossly overestimated his powers. Auden's poem comes to mind for me each year on days like this, the celebration of Christmas that we have been longing for and building toward has come. And now, what lies on the horizon? Dismantling the tree, packing up the ornaments, And then what? What will occupy that special aisle in Walgreens now? (laughs) Valentine's, I guess? We love anticipation. I think it's something that is born into us, ingrained in our biology, this desire to look forward. But over the recent years, I feel as though this love has become an obsession. I can remember when Christmas decorations weren't in the stores until late November, and now it is so much earlier. I know that for myself and many others, I know anticipation has become a way to keep ourselves going. The objects can change, could be a vacation that is just getting us through the dark months of winter. It could be the next holiday, or it could be something as mundane as the next Marvel movie or a new season of the Great British Baking Show. The objects can change, but the structure remains the same. We love to have something to look forward to. And that's what makes times like this so hard. The day after and the weeks after a great celebration can be a little blue, a little bit of a letdown. And I think that part of the reason that we are so drawn to anticipation, especially in this age, is that we worry when we're in those still moments those times of quiet and silence when we're not going to the next thing, that maybe our lives are meaningless. So much of our life is now analyzed and objectified, counted and quantified. And then there are voices like the great scientist Francis Crick, who won the Nobel Prize for discovering the double helix structure of DNA, who say things like that you, your joys and your sorrows, 
your hopes and your ambitions, your sense of self are nothing but a vast arrangement of neurons and their associated molecules. In our hearts, we may protest, but sometimes in those quiet moments, we might think Crick is right. But really, there is nothing more to us than neurons and molecules. And that's a heavy burden to bear. So we distract ourselves with our devices, we plan a vacation, we look forward to the next holiday. But it is into that world, objectified and controlled, planned by power, that Christ came, coming no less in the midst of a census, which in ancient Israel was considered an affront to God, just because God doesn't like counting people, but instead seeing them as subjects. And so it's into the midst of that reality of counting and calculating that Christ comes to remind us that the world that God made, the world that God sent God's own Son into, is not a world of its, but instead a world of subjects. It is, as W.H. Auden says towards the end of his poem, that in Christmas we remember that moment when at the stable for once in our lives everything became a you and nothing was an it. Christ comes into the world to remind us that we are so much more than neurons and molecules. In God's incarnation, he looks out at the world and says, you and you and you. Reminded of this, too, that this reality is from the very beginning in the very fabric of creation. Our psalm reminds us of this, where it recalls that God names and knows each star in the sky personally. When I read that psalm, I was reminded of an episode in C.S. Lewis's Narnian novel, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. In that novel, Eustace, an English boy who has been transported into the realm of Narnia, meets a star personified. Surprised, Eustace exclaims, in our world, a star is nothing but a flaming ball of gas. To which he hears the response, no, my son, even in your world, that is not what a star is, but only what it is made of. With Christmas, we are reminded that we are made of so much more than the material realities of this world, and that even if we are made of neurons and molecules, that that is not all of what, who we are. 
we are subjects beloved of God. And that love is made manifest even more in the word of God that became flesh. And in that becoming affirmed every aspect of the world with God's yes and you. That God would become a part of God's own creation is a great affirmation to all things. And it changes the way that we can live into those mundane moments of our lives. Even things like laundry and washing the dishes can now become what Kathleen Norris calls quotidian mysteries, where we are awake and alive to God's presence among us. It may be, as the writer Jeff Reiner recently put it, that living a good life is not something that is all that spectacular. And maybe it's in that that redemption really lies. So I invite you as you start to dismantle your trees and we begin to take down the decorations to remember the miracle of Christmas, a reality that is not over even in 12 days. In Christ coming among us, we realize that the world is affirmed and that we are God's beloved subjects within it. And that is a truth that we can move toward ever deeper over our lives. And that, I think, is something worth looking forward to. Amen.